Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Trinity family and friends of Trinity. I hope you are all well this morning. Thank you, Lori, for reading that passage. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer together throughout the season of Lent. We've been going phrase by phrase, and we'll be concluding next week, uh, Easter Sunday, with the final phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we consider Jesus' victory over evil and all of its effects. I came across this quote on the Lord's Prayer this week. I want to share that with all of you. The Lord's Prayer is the true Christian prayer and the water pitcher or bucket with which blessed grace is drawn out of the fountain of grace of Jesus Christ and poured into the heart. That is the best description I've ever heard or read about the Lord's Prayer. And I hope you have regularly been using your bucket to draw from the grace that is in Jesus Christ by praying this prayer in this time. As I've shared before, each week it's felt like to me in God's providence that God has given us the phrase of the Lord's Prayer that we needed for the moment. We began, what, four weeks ago now, by looking at your kingdom come, as we were just coming to grips with the reality that we're now all living in. It's a prayer of lament. Why is this happening? It's a prayer of hope, longing for the sure kingdom to come. And then we looked at give us this day our daily bread, a prayer uh, of God's provision, of trusting him day by day for our needs. Last week we looked at your will be done as things were starting to settle in. The longer that this goes, that prayer is a prayer of, of letting go of control, of trusting in God's perfect will and submitting our wills to his. Now today we come to forgive us our sins. And I believe this is the phrase we need desperately now. We, we have needed it, and we will need it. But I believe now we're all starting to feel our need for this part of the Lord's Prayer, for this extremely challenging time that we're in. A few weeks ago, early on, when we were still early on in, in the pandemic, I was talking to a, a mentor of mine, and he shared a conversation with me that he had with another pastor. This pastor had pastored a church in Louisiana during the time of Hurricane Katrina. And what he was saying is, sure, in a time of crisis, you need to focus on ways to be the church, new ways of figuring out church in the present moment. But he said, remember also to look ahead to the long term, to be prepared for the relational costs that will come inevitably as a result of being in a time of crisis. 
He said the relational impact of a crisis is real, it's huge, there's isolation, we're experiencing that. There's strain in all of our relationships, in marriage, in parenting, with kids, friends, and families. So we are all, I know, bracing in many ways for many things. We're bracing for the economic cost that we're going to be looking at in the future. But the relational cost, friends, will likely be just as great, if not greater. That's why we need this part of the prayer. During this time, I think it's safe to say that a few things are on the rise. In this time of stress, worry, and fear are on the rise. One thing that happens when worry and fear rise up is that sin also rises up with those things. Our sin and the sin of other people. So in this time, one thing also needs to be on the rise, and that is forgiveness to get us through this. For when we make it to the other side, whatever that will look like, forgiveness will be vital and essential. There are many things that are absolutely vital in this time, but right up there with any of them is that we experience regularly that we are forgiven and that we practice forgiving other people. That's what Jesus is offering us by giving us this prayer. So my title for today is Forgive Us Our Debts. Kids, make sure you have your kids bulletin, your handout ready. It looks like this. I have some pictures that I'd like for you to draw as we move along. So my title is fairly short and simple, but I have a really long subtitle this morning. It is Four Things We Have to Know from this prayer for healthy relationships especially in this time. So first, let's look at our relationship with God. We need to know two things. One, that we sin, and two, that God forgives. First, we sin. Kids, I want you to draw this drawing. You can draw it next to the first blank there in your sermon outline. I want you to write the biggest amount of money, the largest amount of money you can imagine. Write a dollar sign next to it and just write that huge number. It's the hugest amount of money you can think of. Write it down. In telling us to regularly and to repeatedly pray, forgive us our debts, forgive us, Jesus is assuming something about all of us, that we sin. Now, this isn't a flattering view of human nature, but it is the biblical view. Since Jesus gave us this prayer to pray as a pattern, to pray regularly, daily, and throughout the day, he is assuming and he's telling us something. We're going to need it because we all sin regularly, repeatedly, and often. This is a part of the Lord's Prayer, though, that some of us, we may have learned a little bit differently. I did. Growing up, I was taught to pray, and I memorized the prayer, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So I was resistant to this whole idea of debtors. I didn't like it. It didn't sound right to me. But as I studied it, later on in life I realized the best translation is clearly debts. The word here is a word used for literal debts, for when an economic cost needed to be paid off between two parties, when someone owed someone else money. Now there are a lot of words and images used to describe sin in the Bible, all the actions and attitudes that break our relationship with God. 
Some of those words are the word sin itself, which means miss the mark. It's a, yeah, a word that captures the imagery of archery, missing the target. There's the word trespass, which is the image of, of trespassing, going over a line. There's the image of stumbling and falling, which uses the imagery of walking with God and falling and stumbling in that walk. Here, Jesus chose this particular picture and image of sin to be the one that we regularly use in prayer. He chose debts. Now, why, why would he choose that particular image? Because at first, it might seem kind of cold and impersonal for Jesus to use the language of money or economics to describe our relationship with God and other people. But think about it. We do this all the time when we talk about our relationships. We say, you owe him an apology. Or you say, I can't believe you did that for me. I feel so indebted to you. Or on the other side of things, when we're struggling with something, when somebody has wronged us, we say, there's going to be payback for that. Now, all this talk, it doesn't cheapen our relationships in any way whatsoever. It actually shows us the value of our relationships. It shows us how important they are. Because when somebody wrongs somebody else, something happens. Something is really there. Sin is not just a fuzzy concept. It's not just breaking some set of impersonal rules. It's wronging another person. And when that happens, something is created. Something stands between those two people. That's debt. It's relational debt. And something must be done about this debt. Now, as much as I wish it were true, Financial debt does not go away. Let's think about this by way of illustration. It doesn't just go away. It has to be dealt with, right? In the same way, all, relation, all relational debt also needs to be dealt with. Now, think about it this way, illustration. If you have a bill, if you have a bill of some sort, you owe money to someone, you can put it in a drawer, you can hide it, you can put it underneath a pile of other letters and bills, but it won't just go away it will still be there. You will still owe the debt, no matter how much you try to ignore it or hide it. It's the same way in our relationships. See, if you don't deal with a financial debt, it will bring you financial hardship, even disaster. In the same way, relational debt, our sin, if we don't deal with it, will bring us relational hardship and even disaster between us and God and between us and other people. So let me say this uh, for our time right now. If you find yourself sinning in new ways during this time, if you find yourself sinning in all the same old ways, the ways that you just can't shake, Jesus isn't surprised by that. It's why he gave us this prayer. Don't be surprised if you're stumbling and struggling, if you're sinning this time that we're in. It's exposing, it's intensifying all the ways that we struggle. In many ways, it feels heavier, it's harder. There's worry. If you're a worrier, your worry is going off the charts. There's fear, there's resentment. There's all the seven deadly sins, anger, lust, greed, envy, pride, sloth, gluttony. I would expect they're all happening in some measure to many of us. It's no use trying to hide or deny these things, try to put them underneath 
a pile or in a drawer somewhere. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's not deceive ourselves, friends. Let's speak the truth. Something must be done about this debt. Which takes me to my second point. If you find yourself struggling and sinning, I need you to hear this. Jesus did not give us this prayer to weigh us down with guilt, to make us feel bad or worse. No. This whole prayer, the whole point of this part of the prayer is not about our sin at all, but about God's forgiveness. God wants, God invites, God longs to show us deeply that we might experience forgiveness for all the debt that we have before him in our sin. He wants us to experience it regularly, all the time, the freedom and the joy of being forgiven. That's why we have this prayer in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. This part, like all other parts of the Lord's Prayer, when offered in faith, are prayers that God answers, that He loves to answer. Here's a test for you. If, if when you're praying this prayer, forgive me, God, if your confession or repentance doesn't produce confidence, joy, the feeling of liberation, of lightheartedness, and freedom. Friends, you don't really understand forgiveness then. Sure, it, it is a process. It can take time. But on the whole, if you feel more guilty, if you feel worse, ashamed and discouraged, burdened by trying harder and harder after praying prayers of confession, then you don't understand forgiveness. And you need to. How can we understand it? Well, first, um, we need to know what we're asking when we ask to be forgiven. Asking for forgiveness assumes that the debt is so far out of your reach that you could never possibly repay it. Repayment is not an option. Think about this, how, how humbling, even humiliating it can be to get to the point when you have to ask someone, hey, I, I know I owe you some money. I know it's a lot of money but I can't pay it. Would you please forgive me this debt? So humbling, even humiliating. You're saying though, I cannot pay. That's what forgiveness is asking. You've given up all attempts at paying it off yourself. You don't come with a bill for $1 million with a $20 bill in your hand and say, would you accept $20 and forgive the rest? No, you say, I can't pay this. Would you forgive it all? Now, this, this is one of the major causes of a lack of confidence and joy in our faith, is that when we ask for forgiveness, we're not really asking for forgiveness. We're asking for a second chance to try harder next time. We're trying to pay it off with 20 bucks, which will never be enough. So asking for forgiveness is asking for God to erase all the debt. Now, when God forgives, what does he do? What does it mean that God forgives? It means that when God answers this prayer, kids, I want you to do something with the picture I had you draw. You see that number that you draw, that large amount of money, the biggest amount of money you could ever think of? I want you to cross it out. 
I want you to scribble it all out or just erase it. You choose which one you want to do. That's what God does when he forgives our sins. He removes it so far from us that the thing that we feel like is in us, it's a part of us that we can't get rid of. He says it's no longer a part of you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you, says the Lord. So it's like this. If you owe money on an account and you don't realize it has been forgiven, you get a statement in the mail and it says, you owe zero dollars on this account. And you go, well, that can't be right. I, I didn't pay that. What's going on? You log on, you try to figure out, log on to the internet, you look up your account, it says it's not there. You call customer service and say, didn't I owe this money? And they say, no. We have no record of that. It's gone. That's what God does when he forgives our sins. God does not call it to mind in his relationship with us anymore. He will never hold that debt or that sin against us or bring it up again. What is the one thing that the all-knowing, omniscient God says that he doesn't remember? There's only one thing. The sin that he forgives. It's like if you have a file of old bills that you keep for your records and you go back to look at the records of, of the bills you've paid, of the debts that you've had, and you go into that file and there's nothing there. There's no record of the debt. There's no statements. It's like that with forgiveness. If we say, God, I have these debts. I have these sins. They're all in my past. God says, well, let me look up and see if I can see what's in my file here. He looks in the file and there's nothing there. It's gone. Forgiven. He says, it's not a part of our relationship anymore. How can God do this with our debt? Friends, this is what Holy Week is all about. It's Jesus' journey to the cross and the empty tomb. It's only because Jesus paid the debt. Jesus took the cost by becoming a debtor in our place. That's what happened on the cross. Christianity says there are only two choices. Try to pay off our debt ourselves or accept that our debt has been paid off by another, by Jesus Christ. All of it. This is a question, uh, this is where a question you might have uh, comes into play here. Jesus says, ask for forgiveness. Why do we have to ask for forgiveness if all our sins are forgiven and paid for by Jesus Christ when we repent and place our faith in him? Well, 1 John is helpful here again. He says, on the one hand, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And just a few verses later, 1 John 2.12, he says, I'm writing to you, children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. He's saying we confess our sins because we have already been forgiven. If you are a Christian, a son or a daughter of God through faith, united to Christ, your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. So praying this prayer doesn't get you forgiveness. It doesn't earn you forgiveness or pay your debt. It is instead for you to experience 
forgiveness, for you to feel it deep down in your soul and get it into your bones for the specific sins, the specific debt that you have that stands between you and fellowship and communion with God. God already says yes to this prayer because of Jesus. And we need to feel this yes, not assume it. We need to ask and be told, yes, you are forgiven repeatedly by God. It's how we renew our relationship with Him. So if you have sinned during this challenging time in ways that have surprised you or discouraged you, there's a way back to confidence and joy. The great reformer Martin Luther said this about this prayer. He said, A confident and joyful heart can spring from nothing else than a certain knowledge of the forgiveness of sin. So to not make use of this prayer is to deny the only resource that can give us confidence that all of our debt is gone. That much confidence and humble joy knowing that we didn't pay any of it. It's been erased on account of Jesus. Great confidence and humble joy. Now let me move to my next two points. To not make use of this prayer is also to deny the only resource that enables us to truly forgive other people. We've looked at our relationship with God. Now, what about our relationship with other people? Two things here we need to know for healthy relationships, especially now. Others will sin against us, and we must forgive. Let's look at that. Others will sin against us. Kids, I want you to draw two people, uh, two stick figures. If, if, if that's all you're able to do, draw two people next to where it says others will sin against us. And what I want you to do is draw either a mad face or a sad face on these two people. And in between them, I want you to write or draw a dollar sign that represents debt. We'll come back to that picture in a moment. When Jesus tells us to pray as we forgive our debtors, Jesus is assuming something here too. That others will sin against us repeatedly, often, expected. Don't be surprised when it happens. But just because we know that it will happen doesn't make it easy or enjoyable when it does. There is a cost when we are wrong. There is something that stands between us and the other person when we hurt and harm others with what we do and what we fail to do, real relational debt is there. We feel this debt and something must be done about it or our relationships will be strained and can be broken under the weight of this debt. Now, I don't know what life has been like for you these past four or five weeks, but I would guess that this is a season where we are racking up the debt with those who are close to us. There's been a lot of mad and sad faces in all our relationships. Some examples of these debts. Maybe there's been careless or harsh words that have been spoken. Maybe inconsiderate actions have been done. Maybe there's been aloofness, withdrawing. Maybe people haven't gotten back to you when you've called them or texted them or emailed them. Maybe there's been a little bit of purposeful bugging going on. 
as we're all just in close quarters with one another, those who are living uh, with others and family. Maybe there's been insensitivity. Maybe there's been overworking. Maybe there's been escaping, addiction to news or social media. There's been many ways where we failed to love one another. I expect some or all of this has happened to you. And we shouldn't be surprised by this, knowing our own debt and the magnitude of our own sin. But what we cannot do is settle for ignoring it or for shallow forgiveness, where we just say, I'm sorry about that thing. Okay, no worries. Just move on. That's not enough. Something real must be done about the debt or it will remain between us. When someone wrongs us and sins against us, Jesus says forgiveness for one of his followers is not an option. We must forgive. This is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that comes with an explanation and a footnote. The prayer is, forgive us our sins, with a further explanation as we forgive our debtors. And then in verses 14 and 15, there's a footnote directly related to this part of the prayer. It says, for if you forgive others, Jesus is saying, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What does this mean? It's forgiving a condition of being forgiven. It sounds like this is what Jesus is saying, but no. Here's what he's saying. Forgiveness is not a condition of being forgiven. Forgiving others is a sign of being forgiven. That we truly have come to understand and experience that we and our debt has been forgiven. Notice that it doesn't say, forgive us because we forgive others. It says, forgive us as we forgive others. In this prayer, in Jesus' amazing wisdom, what Jesus is doing is tying these two together in such a way that continually drives us back to our own debt, our own forgiveness before God, and continually pushes us out and drives us out to forgive other people. They're inseparable. Let me explain it. Consider this. If you pray for forgiveness while withholding forgiveness, you don't know what you're asking for when you ask to be forgiven. So you cancel the whole prayer. Here's another way to think about it. If we harbor ill feelings against others, if we pay others back, if we write people off, then in this prayer, what are we asking? We're asking that God might not forgive our sins. Do you see that? We're asking God not to forgive our sins if we don't forgive the sins of others. The poet George Herbert, he said it like this, He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass if he would ever reach heaven. You see, whenever you really pray this prayer, you are forfeiting the right to pay back. You are forfeiting the right to holding a grudge or refusing to forgive. Kids, here's what I want you to do. With that picture you just draw, I want you to cross out or erase that dollar sign in between the two people. And maybe, if it's possible in your drawing, could you turn the sad and mad faces into happy faces, smiling faces. The goal of forgiveness is not just the removal of debt, but the restoration of relationship. Okay, if you're in a situation right now 
where you're feeling there's a lot of debts piling up. You might have the same question that Peter, Jesus' disciple, had about all this. He said, how much does this have to happen? How often? Until we just say, that's enough. The debt is too much. You've repeated the same sin over and over again. I can't take it anymore. It's getting old. And Jesus answered Peter in Matthew 18. He said, how often? As often as there is debt. Peter said, this is really hard. And Jesus told his disciples this story. In Matthew 18, he said, Once there was a great king. It came time for him to settle his accounts with his servants, and so he called them, beginning with one particular servant. Now this, this servant owed him $7 billion. In, in Jesus' story, it was uh, 10,000 talents. That's the equivalent. Uh, some scholars have analyzed this to like 3 to $7 billion. So there was a servant who owed him $7 billion, and he didn't have that kind of money. So the king said, okay, so you, your wife, everything you have is going to be sold off so you can pay for this debt. And the servant said, I cannot pay this debt. He fell on his face and he begged for mercy and he said, please, please. The king had compassion on this servant and said to him, I forgive the debt. He didn't say, you can pay back some of it. He didn't say, get back to me later. He said, the debt is forgiven. He released him. Then the same servant, a little bit later on, found someone else. And this someone owed him a debt of $5,000. He grabbed him by the neck and he started choking him. And he said, you must pay me this debt. And the man begged him. He said, have mercy on me. I don't have the money. But the servant said, if you don't have the money, if you can't pay this debt, you're going to prison. And he threw him in prison until he was able to pay off the debt. The word of this got back to the king in Matthew 18, 32. The king said, You wicked servant. He called him back to himself and he says, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And he threw him in jail. The story is meant to drive home a point. The one who cannot forgive doesn't understand forgiveness. The one who understands forgiveness will forgive. There's much more we could say about this, but practically speaking, true forgiveness, it does three things if you put it into practice. It acknowledges the debt, it doesn't excuse the debt, it shares the debt, the pain and the hurt that came with the sin, with the wrong. It acknowledges the debt, opens the heart to forgive the debt, and then erases the debt. Acknowledging, opening the heart, and erasing the debt. And when you erase a debt in between you and another person, when that dollar sign is crossed off and erased, what you're saying is, I will not dwell on what you did. I promise. I promise I will not bring it up again. I promise I will not talk to others about this. And I will not allow this to stand between us. It's gone. Because this is what God has done for me through Jesus. Now because we sin, because others will sin against us, it means that healthy and strong relationships 
healthy and strong communities, families, will be characterized by more and more forgiveness, not less. And you can start on that today. I came across this quote in my study this week. Uh, the commentator Frederick Bruner, uh, talking about this part of the prayer, he said this about forgiveness. Food is humanity's priority need, but forgiveness is humanity's profoundest need. Do you agree with that? I want to ask you to consider how this is true in our present moment and what we're facing now and in our near future, whatever our future will look like. Uh, let me address something. You may have heard something like this. It's become kind of standard in some of our uh, circles, in, in, in Christian circles, um, to say this. Christianity and the gospel is so much more than mere forgiveness. There's so much more to it than just about personal forgiveness. It's about justice. It's about God's coming kingdom, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That all aspects of life coming under God's rule the systemic and the social and the vocational. Now, I understand this, this, this sentiment, and I agree with it, but there's a problem with it. This view assumes we actually know, first, what forgiveness is, and we have experienced it deeply in our bones. And something else it assumes. It assumes that the parts of the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom coming, His will being done, can happen apart from forgiveness. Like they are not at all related, but they are relationships, work, systemic issues of poverty, injustice, racism, all require a robust and deep understanding of forgiveness and the resources to forgive other people. Because all require, on the individual level, the forgiving over real, deep, painful debt, evil, wrong and harm. By saying the gospel is more than forgiveness, which it is, we must never undersell the power and the need of forgiveness and its relationships to all other aspects of the gospel. It goes hand in hand. So let me close with a few final thoughts. In order for us to get through this, everything that we're going through right now, and in order for us to contribute to recovery and rebuilding for our future, whatever that will look like, whatever the new normal will be, what can we do? One thing we can do is pray this part of the Lord's Prayer. One thing we must do, kids, parents, single, married, working, not working, is to pray this prayer. There is, and there will be, a lot for us to forgive. For example, there are leaders making good decisions right now and leaders making very poor decisions. There are researchers and scientists trying to do all that they can, doing great work to protect us and advise us and bring uh, resources to bear for healing. Maybe some will get some things wrong. There is the absolutely horrifying racism that has come to many Asian Americans because of this. There are employers making decisions with real-life implications for all of us. Some are making good decisions and some not so good. And it gets down to the very personal, our friends and our family letting us down 
in this time when we really need them? How will we come back to life from all this debt and pain that stands in between us? The secret is in Colossians 2.13. This is the way that the Apostle Paul says it. He says, In you who were dead in your trespasses, you who were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, your debt is canceled. Nailed to the cross with Christ. You're forgiven. And you can do the same for other people. And the power and the strength that he gives us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we pause and consider the prayer that you have given to us, the prayer that you have taught us to pray regularly, I pray at this moment that we would pause again confessing our sin, our debt. And Lord, would we today, even now, experience deeply in our hearts and our souls what you say to those who come asking for forgiveness in the name of Jesus. You say yes. May we feel that yes. May we feel the lifting, the liberation, the letting go and the freedom that nothing stands between us and you. And help us have the resources and the grace and the strength to let other people taste this and glimpse just a little bit of what we have experienced with you as we forgive their debt, as we forgive their sin, as we let it go, as we don't allow it to stand in between us and them. Have mercy on us, God, and enable us to do that now and in the days to come. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.